Hey, 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 and welcome to Insurance Town. I'm the Mayor Heath Sheeran and the host of this podcast. Guys, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Thank you for the emails and the responses to the Facebook posts. I've gotten some great feedback from y'all lately, and I'm super excited to also announce February 18th. That's February 18th, 11 a.m. We will be having our next town hall meeting. This is free for all my listeners. Uh, If you want a link to the Zoom call, shoot me an email, shoot me a text, 501-425-3306, or hit me up uh, on one of the social platforms. I'll send you the link and you can jump in and hang out with us. I will have a special guest in my man, Bradley Flowers of Portal Insurance. He's killed it out there, and he's going to talk to us about marketing and new business generation and lead generation, things like that. We're going to have a great conversation. I cannot wait. Uh, Today's show is sponsored by my man, Tolga Tazel over at Canopy Connect. They are your one-click solution to getting those deck pages that you need to quote your prospects. I uh, I love working with them. I've had so many uh, people email me and reach out to me thanking me for introducing them and for having them as a sponsor. They do such a great job. Uh, they're really a game changer. Go to app.usecanopy.com backslash Heath, schedule your demo, get your discount, or you can just go to their website at usecanopy.com and mention my name, and you will still get that discount. Today's show, today's show, I've got a good friend of mine from outside the industry. I told you last week, I'll tell you again this week, we are going to sprinkle in some people outside of our industry. They're going to inspire us, educate us, and uh, ins- you know, just really get us fired up for what we're doing. Um uh, I really think this guy's going to be no different. Um, Today's show, I've got my good friend, Ted Clouser, coming on. Ted Clouser is with PCA Technology Solutions. Uh, They do a great job uh, coming in uh, and kind of being your IT guy. And they also uh, do a lot of cool stuff with cyber. Um, And I, I just... I think you're going to love this conversation. We get into his story. We talk about uh, what he does. We talk about his culture. We talk about a, a myriad of topics. Uh, and we end the conversation with a cool topic. You know, We talk about his ideas on cyber hygiene and how the insurance industry could uh, better handle cyber insurance, cyber liability, the whole nine. I'm going to jump out the way and let you enjoy my conversation with my man, Ted Clouser. Ted Clouser, my main man. How are you? I'm great, Heath. Thanks for having me. Man, I, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, I should have asked this off air, but how's Stephanie, the kids, the whole night? Everybody good? No, they're doing fantastic. You know, obviously it's been a challenging year for all of us, uh, but we had some good time together during the pandemic. You know, my daughter is uh, about to turn 21 this year. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it was good for us just to all spend some time together. Yeah, it was. It, you know, that's one of the things that's come up a lot in the last little bit of you know, people complaining and, and going on and on about 2020 and how bad it was, but it really was cool to be able to spend that much time with your kids. And for me, I've got three kids at home under the age of 13 and so, or 13 and under. And it was cool to get to do the homework. Although you, you complain about it when it's happening, you know, you look back, it's like, man, I really enjoyed that time. And, you know, those game nights and the things that we got to do together that, you know, I just shied away or got away from just being so busy. So it was cool. Yeah, so I'm glad to hear you say that. Um, for those that don't know, and some of you click this episode, you're like, who is Ted Clouser? Because he's not in our insurance industry, which is cool because I want you to listen to this guy. Um, you know, I go a little ways back with the family. Uh, I was in a leads group with, you know, one of your employees and beautiful wife and, and Stephanie, mm-hmm. and we got to know each other and got to know, you know, PC assistants. So I wanted to um, bring him on the show because I, I follow him on LinkedIn uh, and follow what he's doing. Uh I do want you to kind of go down memory lane with me and let's, let's talk about who you are and let's let my audience know who you are. Yeah. Well, I love that. well for, first off, I would be remiss if I didn't correct you on two things. One, my lovely and beautiful wife is not my employee. She is my chief brand officer. <laughs> so I need okay, to- Okay. So you're her thing. employee. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then secondly, uh, she led the endeavor to rebrand us. And so our name is actually now PCA Technology Solutions. No, see, that's how far back, you know, I don't- <laughs> I know it. So you we know. changed your name two years ago. So awesome. Um, 
Well, that's about the time that I got out of the leads group at the chamber. So yeah, it makes sense. There you so go. anyhow, thanks for correcting me on that. PCA <laughs> no Technologies. Uh, PCA Technology Solutions. Got it. All right. Now, hit me with who Ted Clauser is. And yeah, tell me, so you know, as far back as you want to go. Absolutely. Well, again, it's an honor to be on the show. I will tell you that uh, I grew up on a dairy farm in central Pennsylvania, uh, of which my entire family still lives within walking distance. I have two older brothers, a mother and a father who are going to be married uh, for 55 years in April, and they all live walking distance. And here I am 1,000 miles away in Little Rock, Arkansas. Wow. And and my story is... uh, my story is pretty simple in the, in the sense of, you know, I grew up on a dairy farm, uh, but I learned at a pretty young age that I couldn't grow anything. I couldn't fix anything. I was in deep trouble staying on the farm. It just wasn't how I was wired. And so uh, probably in around the age of 12 or something like that, I recognized that I would have to do something else. I had dreams of being a carpenter, but that doesn't work when you can't build things. I mean, I, I, I just knew I had to do something different. And so We actually had a computer there on the farm and I began to take interest in just real basic uh, operations within that was a, I think it was an 8086 at the time. So that that's back in the eighties, early nineties. We might've gotten a 286 or a 386 and that was big time, but I just recognized that I was going to have to do something different. So began a path. Uh, Ironically though, I still went through the uh, agricultural track at my high school, I was president of FFA, which is Future Farmers of America. But what that really did for me along the way that I don't know that I recognized at the time was that it taught me a lot about business. And I could see that uh, even in FFA, I was doing things like extemporaneous public speaking, or I was doing different business-related competitions and found that I really had a passion for it. Uh, I did skip, I think, an important step because it'll play into the story a little bit later, but Uh, When I went to third grade, uh, I started the year in third grade and finished the year in fourth grade. So when I came back the next year, I was in fifth grade. So I I, uh, ended up actually graduating at age 16 as a result. And uh, around that same time, I decided to start my own computer business in that small town right outside of Penn State University in uh, Pennsylvania. Now, the downside of that is it's a, it's a heavy Amish community, so it's really hard to find anybody with electricity and therefore hard to do anything with computers. Um, <laughs> but I, I gave it a whirl for about a year. I had a couple clients, was able to do some things, and I realized, realized that that was really what I felt like I wanted to do when I grew up. So at age 17, after being out of uh, high school, I actually went and worked for a computer company on the campus of Penn State University uh, in the town of State College. And I worked there for about a year. And uh, when I was 18 years old, I had a friend in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I decided that I was just going to pick up and move. I had $400 to my name, a credit card with a $2,000 limit, and an old Pontiac, uh, I guess it was a Grand Am. And (laughs) I headed to Little Rock, Arkansas, really having no clue what uh, God was about to do for me. But came here um, at age 18. Three weeks later, I had applied to or had sent my resume to every computer company in the Yellow Pages and uh, was interviewed by three and ultimately hired by one in 1996. And that company was PC Assistance. Uh, There was a gentleman named Ben Thomas who took a chance on me uh, when there was about four people at the company. And uh, I began the journey of, of where I am today. So I came here um, in September of 96, Um, you know, again, came from a town of 150 people, probably of which 50% were Amish to Little Rock, Arkansas. So it was a really interesting transition. I was very fortunate to to begin to build a life here. Um, It was February of 1998 that I met my darling bride through friends. We were engaged in August and married in November. So I was 20 and she was 19. And we began the journey uh, together. And, you know, we'll be celebrating uh, 23 years this year. So I'm very grateful for her uh, putting up with me and all of my quirkiness. Um, We kind of started life pretty early, obviously. And uh, when she was, she turned 21 and then she had my daughter, um, Alexis, who is a junior at the University of Alabama. And then we had my son, who is a junior at Baptist Prep uh, High School here in Little Rock. And, uh, you know, we, we've we been able to just do life together. Um, 
and I had been at the company uh, since 96. She joined us part-time um, about 12 years ago and then full-time probably six or seven years ago. But uh, in 2017, the owner had decided that he was prepared to move on to different things. And uh, Stephanie and I really took the opportunity to, to give some thought, prayer, and attention to what our next uh, journey would be. And so we decided um, on January 1st, 2018 to purchase the company. And it's been a whirlwind ever since. It's been, you know, it's, it's interesting. Part of my story, and I'd be remiss if I didn't share it, was... Um, because it's really the only place I ever worked, it became my identity. And so people had said when I would buy the company, it would be different. And I kept saying, it's not going to be different. It's, it's no big deal at all, but it was different. January 1st, 2018, it was different. Um, and I went through a season probably of 12 to 18 months where I really dealt with some uh, depression issues. I had challenges with what I would ultimately say was ripping my identity. Um, and I had to really begin to separate myself because I had, I had spent my entire life thinking that I was the company instead of being an employee or a leader within the company. And I really began to have this unhealthy uh, identity relationships, the best way I can describe it. And ultimately, uh, you know, through the, through some really challenging situations had to have that stripped from me and had to rebuild from the ground up in, in a much healthier fashion. So now I recognize I'm the CEO of PCA Technology Solutions. I, I can be replaced just like anybody else if I'm not doing my job. So, you know, that's, that's really what got me to where I am today. Um, it's pretty much my story and my journey. And it's, uh, it's been a fun ride. That's awesome. I do have a couple of questions to follow up on. Number one, the most important to me, not really, but... <laughs> You don't say roll tide, do you, at your house? You know, I, I do not say roll tide, but I'm okay saying full ride. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now, I get that. I get that. Um, you know, for the listeners out there, we're deep in Razorback country. Yes. So I want to make sure. Um, and I don't know. I'm sure over the years you've been converted over to an Arkansas fan, being from Amish country. Maybe not. Maybe not. I'm still, I'm, I'm still Penn Stater at heart. Arkansas okay. is my number two team. Okay. 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 Um, so, okay. Going back to, we'll get a little more serious here, but going back to what you mentioned about um, the identity relationship within your company. So you feel like um, you stripping yourself of that ownership title and kind of taking like a, a, a title within the company of CEO, as you said, was that kind of a mind shift for you, a mindset change and that helped you within that identity crisis? I think that what really happened is that, um, you know, I'd spent my whole life running the company and I really needed transition to owning the company and, and elevating people up to be able to do their jobs and succeed. And I, what I didn't recognize is I had spent my whole career just being that guy that would swoop in and fix problems and then move on to the next one. And I really, really had started hearing a lot. Well, that's just the way we've always done it. And you, you just would always fix it. And so I recognized I had a problem that I needed to completely overcome. Uh, and so that was, it, there was really a multitude of reasons. You know, I, I think that, you know, I bought a company, I bought a building, I'd uh, gone into my 20th year of uh, marriage. My daughter was going off to college. I turned 40. All of these things happened at once and it just crippled me. Yeah. You, um, yeah, that that happens to a lot of people within our own industry here as you're in insurance town. You know, you said something there that resonates and it's cool to hear that resonates outside of just the insurance industry. But one of the things I want to talk about was uh, doing things the way that it always been done or that's the way it's, you know, we've always done it. And, you know, that's something that I, I am trying to as long as as well as so many other in the insurance industry, trying to replace that statement and do some things differently. And being in the tech space, uh, you know, that's got to be something that uh, you guys try to eradicate as well. It's hard. I mean, our our industry changes so rapidly. You know, we have to be willing to shift um, and move gears pretty, pretty regularly. But being a, an established company, we still face that challenges. We have some some teammates that have been here for over 20 years. And yes, there are some things where you hear, well, that's just the way we do it. And we have to really change that mindset to say, yeah, that's worked up to a certain point, but for us to elevate and raise our game and go to that next level, things have to change. Yeah, you're right. And I think that's something that, again, within our space too, we, we deal with, 
you know, that's the way it's always been done. And there's so many uh, agency owners out there that are afraid of that change um, or even, you know, agents and uh, CSRs or whatever the title may be. It's just, it's hard to embrace change. It's hard to embrace. And our change is right up in your space. The change that so many people are afraid to embrace is technology. And afraid to embrace is, you know, adopting new ideas and, and new technologies. And so uh, I, I find that fascinating. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is because you are in that space. Um, but before we get into some of that, I want to get into, you know, okay, so you mentioned earlier when you first came in 98, your team was, what did you say, four people uh-huh. uh, uh, or no, 96, sorry, um, around four people. Now, how? what's your company size now as far as employees? 27. That's, that's a big jump over the last however many years. So, um, and so tell me what that, what looks like now, as far as, uh, cause I think a good leader empowers their people and it sounds like that's what you're doing now. No doubt. Yes. And so we've spent really the past several years rebuilding our foundation and empowering our leaders. Uh, and, and we've got, uh, what we call great it, which is our core values and, uh, you know, accountability is one of those core values and teamwork and intelligence and trust and the whole gamut. And part of it is, is that we, we set that up. We have our vision to be the trusted leader of world-class IT solutions. We have our mission, how we're going to get there. Those are things that, that we created within the past two years. And that was part of rebuilding and saying, okay, instead of this being a company that is, is directed by me, it's a company that I'm casting the vision for as the leader, and then I'm going to empower my people to help get us there. Yeah, I think that's uh, incredible to hear. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that that connected me with you recently was uh, a book that I'm reading right now by Alan Steen or Stein. Stein. Alan Stein. Stein. Uh-huh. And he talks about a lot of that. It talks about... Um, Helping, you know, people to understand, you know, their, um, where, where they're at and to stay within the confines of what they're good at. And I know you've read that book. You recommended it to me uh, on a public forum. And um, has some of that impacted you that he wrote and some of those things that you read are some of those things that you put into practice now? No doubt. And I mean, it, I, I will say that's one of the top five most influential books I've ever read. Raise your game. Uh, raise your is, game. Yeah. Raise your game. Yeah. It helps me. I use that term a lot. Um, because it, it really focuses on the different elements. You've got players, you've got coaches, you've got all these things in life that, uh, you know, I'm a sports fan. So to translate that into the business world, I think there's so many elements that, that translate very well. And I, that book was so impactful to me when I read it. I actually ordered a copy for my entire organization. Alan actually spoke to our whole organization on a video call about two years ago. Uh, Alan's been on... Uh, uh, interview with me recently. I mean, it has just impacted me. So anytime I hear of somebody wanting to read a book about quote unquote, raising their game, it's the first book I, I throw out there. And it's just been hugely impactful to me. Yeah. One of the things you just talked about was, you know, having to, to start over in certain areas and break down some barriers and the walls and that. And one of the things he talked about in his book, and we're not going to make this a book report on, on the book, but um, it, it just resonated with me, what you just said it. Um, and he talks about the CEO of Starbucks um, shutting down 7,000 stores because the espresso was no longer good anymore, which cost him like 28 million or billion or whatever dollar million, I think dollars. Uh, and he could have just started, you know, one at a time and kind of trickled through that, but he shut down the entire organization kind of started from scratch. Yeah. And it sounds like that's maybe a little bit of what you guys did at PCA. There is some. And, you know, it, it was one of those scenarios where it was painful. Uh, you know, in hindsight, I think I could have done a few things differently, but I don't regret it because we're a far stronger and better company than we were uh, before we did it. But the, certainly Alan's uh, teachings were very instrumental in some of those things that we uh, built. And he, you know, obviously he spent some time with Kobe Bryant. And as you continue to read along in the story, you'll see how much of, of Kobe's life is intertwined in his in his writing. But he, he still to this day will post and talk about the fact that it's all about the basics. And that's where that foundation comes into play. Kobe Bryant, one of the greatest players of all time, still spent hours in the gym shooting free throws, you know? Uh, and so you can't forget that the basics matter. Right. And I love the story of, uh, of John Wooden, you know, teaching his players how to lace their shoes and put their socks on a certain way so they didn't get blisters and how it made his players last longer. And I think that goes back to, again, what you talk about with Kobe Bryant, keeping the basics. And if you can't rub it down the floor, then you can't, you know, win a ball game. You can't even be in the game, assess a win. 
And so I think that's, you know, another thing, you know, with John Wooden and that story, uh, I just think that, you know, going back to this basics, you're right. And so talk to me about what does the, um, the culture look like at PCA and talk to me about the, um, you know, what, what that means to you as far as what that culture looks like. Walk us through, you know, kind of the dynamic of your office. Yeah. Well, I think culture is everything. Um, you know, with, with us, just like any listener out there, COVID-19, uh, you changed everything. Part of it is, is that you talked about technology in your space. Well, anybody that was on the fence about how to leverage technology, COVID-19 made us quickly adapt. And if you think about if this pandemic happened 10 or 15 years ago, it would have been crippling to businesses, but because of technology, we were able to adapt. And so for us, you know, I felt like we had a, a pretty strong culture. We were very um, inclusive of wanting to hear people's opinions. And I want us, if you bring us a problem, okay, we want to have a solution with that. I mean, we, we try to, uh, to function that way. We would have regular get togethers and opportunities to really connect. And COVID obviously challenged that. One of the things that we did right out of the gate was we implemented a daily huddle. And so we moved to uh, the fact that, okay, we were going to be remote. We weren't sure how long. And so we started using teams and leveraging those daily huddles right out of the gate. And, uh, you know, I think that even when the world returns to normal, I think we'll keep those forever. It has been helpful. Um, you know, we'll do events during the week where we have uh, FaceTime Tuesday, where we want the cameras on. We'll do games on Thursdays and do different events. And I mean, that's, that's what we had to do to get through this. And so now I'm at the, at the point too, where, one of my initiatives this year is to figure out how we can safely begin to come back in the building. And we've already had a few people come in and we practice our social distancing and we make sure that we wear masks in transit. But the truth is it's pretty darn hard to keep a strong culture without spending time together. And so I look forward to opportunities to get us back in the room. We've done some things, like I said, to kind of tiptoe back into that. And most of the feedback I've gotten thus far has been, it's positive. We've, we've made it completely, uh, you know, we've, we've discussed it along the way. And for those that are here, you know, we, we don't want to mandate that somebody be here if they're not comfortable. So we set up opportunities that if they want to be back here, how to do it in a safe manner, you know, and, and one of the other things that happened, well, two of the other things obviously that happened last year was, uh, was the, you, you had the racial challenges and you have the political challenges. And part of it was, you know, I felt like as the leader of this company, I needed to, to, for the most part, at least get that elephant out of the room. And so some of those I would just tackle head on. And as the leader of the company, I would talk about my heart and I would share my heart and I would make it very clear that this is Ted speaking. This is not the way PCA has to think. I just want to make sure that you know how I feel. Uh, we try to promote vulnerability. We try to promote uh, asking questions. Um, but we also then need to be, need to in turn, make sure people understand that Okay, but you need to, it goes both ways. So if you say something that's out of line, you need to allow us the freedom to say that's not okay. And here's why. So culture to me is king. I think that um, a business can succeed in a much faster pace when the culture is strong. No, I, I couldn't agree more. Now, when you first started these huddles, you know, because we do these too, and we were doing them pre-COVID. Did you get some pushback at first from that? Of uh, we got to do huddles with Ted now, or was it you know? <laughs> Uh, something that they embraced pretty quickly? You know, uh, I, I can't say that I remember, but the thing that I did is that I don't lead the huddles. And so that was part of, uh, we felt like as a management team that it would be important for others to have an opportunity to rise up and lead. So we have different leaders throughout the week. So it's not just, oh my gosh, now we can look at Ted and listen to Ted remotely. I do very little speaking. I'll chime in now and then, but it's really led by our leaders. And so that I think made it more receptive because it was new, it was fresh, it was opportunities to hear new perspectives amidst a challenging time where nobody really knew what was going on anyway. And again, that goes back to empowering your people to step up and lead some of those. Absolutely. So it's been a blessing. It's been, it's absolutely yeah. better company better. Um, now you also talked about something that I think we all kind of went through uh, with COVID uh, and still doing uh, and having those, games or those, you know, FaceTime Tuesday, I think is what you said, or the different things like that. Um, yeah, and a lot of companies have this issue. And I wondered from your perspective, um, is there a fine line you have to dance between being, you know, super cool boss and friendly with the employees and being that, you know, 
I'm the boss, you know, you respect me in this way. And is that something that you find it's, it's difficult for other CEOs as well? Uh, I would say the answer to that question is absolutely. There is, uh, there needs to be a line, but to me, I'm a father. So, you know, I face the same thing with my kids, right? I want them to love me. I want them to like me, but at the end of the day, I'm still the parents. And, you know, in this, in this situation, at the end of the day, I'm still the CEO. And so we can have fun together. Don't get me wrong, but I am trying to lead this entire organization in a certain direction. And so that's my ultimate goal. Just like with my kids, I love to, to go hang out with my kids, but at an age where they're under 18 and they're under my care, I'm still their parent. And so if I have to make a decision for their best interest, I'll do it. Yeah. I, um, I think I see too many agency owners in the insurance world and any business for that matter, um, principals or CEOs get a little, you know, they blur that line uh, yeah. and, and it becomes a detriment to their business. Yeah. Well, I, I learned at a pretty early age when I started managing people in the early 2000s uh, that it's very uncomfortable if you're out having a drink with that buddy the night before and you have to go in the next day and write them up or fire them. I learned pretty early. I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I understand completely. Um, okay. So another thing I wanted to get into uh, as you talked about technology and again, uh, I agree with you 100% going back to if you would have had this pandemic 15 years ago, it would have been a different ball game altogether. I attribute a lot of that, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. I attribute almost wholeheartedly, my opinion, social media is what's really helped over the last 15 years. If we would have had this pandemic without social media, I think you'd have seen a totally different ball ballgame. Um, I attribute not just technology, but I think social media was a big attribute uh, in that and a big contributor to us being able to make it through it a little bit better. What, what say you? Well, it's an interesting perspective, Heath. Honestly, I've not thought of it that way, but I can I can see what you mean. You know, I think to me, social media is, is a double-edged sword. There's a lot of great things that have come from it. But there's also a lot of awful things that have come from it. I think that people spew venom a little bit more uh, easily than than they do if it's in person. Right. I can I can say something about you real easily on my keyboard, Heath. But when I'm looking at you and, eh, you know, it's a little bit different. So uh, but but I'm with you. That makes sense as I think through it. Um, you know, even you and I being able to continue our relationship on a social standpoint, even after we haven't been able to physically interact. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely see where that helps uh, overcome this because, you know, I, we're in Arkansas and so, you know, we're sort of semi-open, right? I mean, things have changed. Don't get me wrong, but we're not California. We're not some of the places that people are literally not able to leave their house. And I can't fathom what it would be like for someone who is truly a hugger an extrovert and all these things to be confined. And so I think social media certainly has helped in that area. Um, uh, in ways that if we didn't have that, they'd be far worse off. Yeah. And also think it, it goes into lead generation as well, as far as businesses go. Yeah, that's true. You know, and then I think it helps, you know, when you have, you know, some people sell online or they, you know, put a chat bot within their Facebook or they've done this or that to help. So I, I attribute a lot of that that's to true. the Facebook. And one of the things you and I talked about prior and I want to get into this because I love this uh, this subject a little bit, and I'm hoping that we can dive into this for a minute. But you made a comment. Uh, I'm going to butcher this probably, but I think you said um, LinkedIn is what's helped me make my brand or help my brand. I forgot how you said it, um, but I I'm a huge LinkedIn fan. Um, oh, man. Um, I think you said, and I'm going to go back to this now. Uh, so this is terrible podcasting right now, but y'all can get over it. Um, so my, my guests or my audience knows me. Um, yeah. So yeah, you said um, LinkedIn, believe, you believe LinkedIn had helped you establish your brand. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, I, I'm a huge fan of LinkedIn. Um, and I think it's underutilized and, um, you know, underappreciated maybe. So uh, talk to me about that a minute. Yeah, Heath, I think it's you and I's job as LinkedIn users to help spread the word that that it is not just a recruiting site. I mean, that's how they built their foundation. I get that. And a lot of people will think that's what LinkedIn is. And it certainly was, but it's not now. I mean, LinkedIn to me is a professional networking site. It's a uh, it's it's for the most part uh, completely professional. You know, I think there there's been some some other things enter into it that make it a little bit more challenging. But at the end of the day, it's you and I being able to relate on a professional environment. Now, to me, I believe that um, the Ted Clouser at PCA needs to really, for the most part, be the same Ted Clouser in the community and in his house. So there are times where I will post things that are personal because, in theory, everything I'm doing is one and the same. So I think that. Uh, 
It allows us to see inside the lives of other professionals, and that includes the personal life. And I think that as long as it's not, you know, an everyday Instagram selfie or, uh, you know, completely a personal page, then I think there's health in that as well. But at the end of the day, you know, I use it to establish who Ted Clouser is, what PCA is, who my team is, the things that I stand for, so that when you and I have a conversation about business, my brand comes before me. So hopefully I've been able to help people see inside the Ted Clouser that now they're talking to. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And I, one of the things that I love about what you said, I got so many things flooding my head. There's squirrel <laughs> moments everywhere, but I do like what you talk about, about, you know, as far as staying on brand uh, and everything that you do. Yeah. And I think that that's something that too many insurance professionals, computer professionals, you know, whatever it may be, um, they, they're not consistent in their branding. And I think that if you're not, you can use LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever the social platform is all you want to. But if you're not consistent on your branding, I think it's more of a hurt than it is or a hindrance more than it is a help. Well, I would agree with that. And, and Stephanie, who is my wife and chief brand officer, has taught me that. Um, you know, she's challenged me and pushed me to make sure that what I do stays within the brand uh, because I'm one of those guys that can kind of stretch things and say, well, you know, no, I can, I can maneuver it and then make it within the brand. And she'll be like, mm -mm, that's not really within your brand. And I think that's good. I think that it's important. Um, you know, ultimately I landed, it, you know, my tagline essentially in my LinkedIn profile is people are my passion. Technology is my platform. I think that articulates it well. Um, you know, I'm a believer. So to me, the two greatest commands are love God, love others. And so if I'm going to love others, then I need to show that as my brand. Now, I happen to be a technology guy. So you and I can talk megabits and megabytes. But at the end of the day, I want to hear about you, Heath, the person, and I want you to know about me. And then if we do business together, that's great. But we're ultimately doing business with other people. A hundred percent. And I and I like that, you know, part of my brand, so to speak, is is relationships and building those relationships with people, no matter what I'm doing, whether it's, uh, you know, in ministry uh, or in insurance or in, you know, sales or in church or in whatever I'm doing, I want to build those relationships. So I'm glad to hear that you say the same thing. Uh, and so one of the other things I talk about with LinkedIn is I'm trying to, you know, spread that word of, of the wonderful LinkedIn is, you know, people may not know this, but when you get on LinkedIn, you can, if I go to Ted's page, I see not only Ted's post, mm -hmm. but where Ted is also posted on other people's comments and other people's posts. I think that's powerful. You don't get that necessarily in Facebook. You have to really search that out or you don't get that in other platforms. So I think that's a really cool feature that, you know, could really help you and your brand, uh, whether I'm talking to you or the, my audience is listening, uh, uh, you know, pay attention to those things and be really intentional on who you're commenting on and what you're reading on that as well. Yeah. Well, and it, I agree. And, you know, I'm a big believer of uh, LinkedIn being a two-way street. And so I don't want to just post. I want to also engage. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because I have learned to love emojis and I didn't share the technology story of me on that side of it. I was a BlackBerry user up until three years ago. That was another thing. I ripped my BlackBerry that same year. So that was all the trauma at once. Wow. Yeah. I also avoided social media my whole life. So in January of 2018 is when I signed up for LinkedIn. And I really began to see the power of it pretty quickly. Um, but I started out, I didn't post at first. I started engaging. And one of the things that I have learned, even as now I'm a, I'm a regular poster, but I'm also a regular engager. And it, you know, I engage a lot. So I'm, I'm not a guy that's going to go out and write a ton of things on it because I'm trying to um, be a part of that moment um, with that person. But I have a tendency to put a lot of emojis out there. I kind of fell in love with emojis about a year ago. And so <laughs> kids and they all gave me a hard time. They're like, why are you putting these stupid emojis out there? And I was like, they're not stupid. People like them. And they go, no, they don't. And so Steph and I were talking, she goes, well, I want you to do a poll. I said, okay, I'll do a poll and sit at a poll about emojis. It was one of the best posts I've ever done. And I walked out of there saying, okay, I can clearly see most people like emojis, but some don't. So it's actually changed. Uh, I'm still a, a three yellow heart emoji guy. Um, it's, you know, I studied that very uh, intensely. So I knew that my uh, representation of what I was trying to get across was, was, uh, consistent. The three comes from Allenstein. Allenstein taught me to do everything in threes. 
Um, so you'll see a three yellow heart. It's almost like I've gone in and stamped it that I see it, I appreciate it. And that to me uh, symbolizes happiness. When I'm reading your post teeth, if I go in and put three yellow hearts on it, it means I read it and made me happy. Um, so I could put that, wow, Heath, that really makes me happy, but, but I can't impact as much. I can't, you know, I'm, I've read yours and now I'm reading the next one. And so I'm less of a typer and more of an engager, but I've also recognized that there are times where I need to really go in and do more than leave some emojis. Just like my 12 year old kid. Anyway, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Exactly. Hey, Alan Stein likes emojis too. There are adults, lots of, uh, that's the great hey, thing. I'm with you. They're powerful. They are powerful. I do like to, again, staying on brand, yeah. three yellow heart emojis. Uh, you, yeah. And you said you studied that and thought about that. Did you play with that a little bit? Did you start with three purple and then three red and three green? No. Well, I, I researched what yellow heart meant or. Yeah, I did research yellow heart because I knew I can't go leaving red hearts uh, on everybody's thing. That's not going to work. And then I looked up, I thought green was my favorite color. And somewhere along the line, I read green meant completely inappropriate things. So I was like, well, I'm not going to be doing that. And so <laughs> ultimately I landed on uh, the yellow heart, which meant happiness, friendship, all the things that I could say, okay, I'm on board with. I have no problem leaving this on a stranger's, on a good friend's, on a girl, on a guy, and, and know that the meaning is happiness and friendship. And then I just went with the three. Uh, like I said, everything should be in threes. So I, I researched the meaning of the yellow heart. And it has some different meanings on different platforms. But at the end of the day, mostly yellow heart means happiness and friendship. And so as you post on people, they know it's consistent and they know that's your brand. That's what you mean. And if they don't know, they just heard it just now. Um, that's right. You need to tell everybody to listen to this episode that don't understand. <laughs> um, okay, so the last one that I want to get into, uh, something that applies a little more to insurance, but I do want to talk to you a little bit about, because I don't know, I'm new and I, I feel old. Uh, so I'm 41 and I don't know anything about Clubhouse. I haven't, okay. you know, I, I don't know the first thing about it. And I've noticed some posts, you know, this morning you posted, you got a busy day and you were hosting a clubhouse coffee and then you were doing something else so i know it's it's been around for a little bit but now all of a sudden i'm hearing about clubhouse everywhere yeah. tell me what clubhouse has done for pca or for ted and what how can my insurance agents listening or insurance professionals using you know clubhouse how can they get the boast out of that what does it mean what is it go yeah. Well, so Clubhouse is a little under a year old, and uh, I really started seeing more about it in December on LinkedIn. And I kept seeing this, join me over Clubhouse, it's the greatest thing. And all I knew at that point is it was a secret club that you had to be invited to. And nobody had invited me, so I thought Clubhouse was stupid. <laughs> and and uh, then, lo and behold, in mid-January, I get an invite. I'm invited to Clubhouse. I'm one of the cool guys. And so I jump on there, and I start... I, I literally only spent about 30 or 45 minutes on it the first day. And you, you really need to think of it as podcasts in a live format with a stage that allows you to, to invite people up and join the conversation. And so I started out by listening um, to, uh, to a podcast pretty early or to a, to a clubhouse uh, session pretty early. And I thought, okay, this, this might be legit. And I told Stephanie about it and I said, hey, I think we ought to think about some sort of clubhouse event for PCA. And then I really didn't think much more about it. Well, about two weeks later, I decided to just dump, jump on Clubhouse again and got invited into a room by a coach that knows my son and literally was asked to get up on stage. And so I'm standing on stage talking to other coaches about social media. And that's when it registered to me. This is legit. This is cool because I am now on a platform that otherwise is very challenging for me to get to. So we came back. That was you know, two weeks ago, probably. And we put initiative, okay, we're going to do this at PCA. Um, and then the game changer and why you're hearing all about it is at midnight on Sunday night, Elon Musk was invited on Clubhouse. And so it was the first time on Clubhouse. So I stayed up until midnight to listen. It was an hour and 45 minutes. And you're listening to Elon Musk live, wherever he's at, it's live. And then the game changer is he brings up Vlad, from uh, Robinhood, who's the co-founder of Robinhood. And if you kept up with the news at all last week and you know Wall Street bets, you know that was a big deal. And so about 1.30 a.m., here's Vlad telling the story of what happened 
with Robinhood and blah, blah, blah. And I wake up the next morning and think, holy smokes, this is going to blow up. Clubhouse is never going to be the same because of what just happened. And so that was Monday. Today, we had our, our first Clubhouse, which I felt like was a huge success. And you almost got to think of it as fireside chat or coffee house chat of where you're having a conversation. So Heath, you and I could bring in three or four other people right now in the insurance agency and be talking about things. And lo and behold, here stumbles in Ted Clouser, who's uh, PCA Technologies, and I'm listening. So I'm just listening. And maybe I raise my hand because I think that I could add some value to the conversation. And you bring me up on stage, and now I'm a part of the club, and we're talking about conversations. So it's just really cool, the concept. I think that the right people are being involved right now to really get some momentum. So from for all of your listeners, I would say, first off, you have to have an iDevice. So iPhone, iPad, if you've got a Droid, you're out. And then you have to have somebody invite you. If you get an invitation, jump in, just play around with it. It is super cool, super fascinating to think, um, you know, I was in the same room, quote unquote, with Elon Musk. It's just pretty amazing. Yeah, that is cool. I haven't gotten my invite yet, so I'm not part of the cool kids. Um, and well, Ted, you play your cards right. I might send you one. There you go. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there was uh, first time in your life you were included in part of the cool kids. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, so, okay, let's take the last 10, 15 minutes, and I, I want to actually relate a little bit of something to insurance here. Because there's something that you said, and I want to get this right too. So you talked about with me in an email, cyber hygiene. Yep. Uh, and that's a big, cyber is a big term everywhere, obviously, but in the insurance space, because we have our cyber liability and we have, you know, insurance policies designed to protect, you know, our clients from cyber attacks. Um, and I would love for you to talk about what does cyber hygiene mean to you? And maybe that can help relate somehow to insurance so that we can wrap this up with an insurance thing. Oh, there's no doubt I can relate it to insurance. And, and so let me, let me talk about uh, cyber hygiene and let me talk about sort of, uh, you know, my, my thoughts that I think I can bring to your industry to really challenge your listeners. How to yeah, how to let's really do it. Even raise your game. So cyber hygiene is nothing more than how you take care of your cyber risks. All right. So hygiene is deodorant and toothpaste and mouthwash, and everything else. So in cyber, it are things like firewall, antivirus, anti-malware protection, strong passwords. But the thing that we forget about, um, and not just your industry, every industry, is that at the end of the day, we the people are the problem. And so if you have this high-end security at your house, and so you put a lock in the front door, you deadbolt it, you put a chain on it, you put a camera out front, you put this high-end uh, alarm system on that's going to alert if something happens. But then you go turn off the alarm system, unlock all the locks, turn off the camera and let the bad guy in the front door, you've become the problem. And so in technology, we the users get click happy. We don't practice good hygiene when we see emails that might be suspicious. We still click on them. And we actually let the people in the door. And what the bad guys are very good about doing is they'll get in the door and they're going to go hide in the attic for 183 days or whatever the average currently is. And they're going to watch every single thing you do. And so from a cyber perspective, once they're inside your system, they begin to study and learn how you act. And so the, the nation state threats are real. You've got Russia, you've got China, you've got these countries that absolutely are praying and promote ransomware and things that bring big dollars into their country out of the U.S., and we as users just are not vigilant enough in making sure that by default, if we think it's risky, we shouldn't do it. We just shouldn't do it in technology. And so where I think your industry has, has done well, but still has some work to go, and that is recognizing that these are real threats, but you, the industry has to be more vigilant in how they accept the risk. So if you give me a one sheet form, and I say, yeah, I do that. Yeah, I do that. Yeah, I have a firewall, blah, blah, blah. You've now approved me for X number of whatever dollars I'm asking for without really knowing what the risk is you're assuming. And so then to make matters worse, I've seen some insurance uh, agencies come in and do what I call a drive-by assessment, which is nothing more than driving down Cantrell and seeing that my building exists up here in the hill and it has a green roof. And it tells me that it looks like that'll prevent rain from getting in. That does me no good in really knowing the risk. 
And so now you've presented me this report and you've sold me cyber insurance and I go, yay, I'm safe. Things are good. And it's just not accurate. So I think as your industry can push forward and as you, your leaders say, we're going to be more vigilant in not just assuming the risk, we're going to actually go in and know what it is we're assuming. And so if I, if I tried to insure a house with you and the foundation was crumbled and the thing looked like it was going to fall down, I would think that that's going to change the way you insure me. And I think cyber needs to be the same approach. So, okay. So a lot of us insurance people and professionals that are listening to this, we may not understand the true cyber liability, so to speak, out there or what truly to protect in cyber because we don't understand technology, maybe like someone like you does. So do you have, you know, some advice or ideas or strategy around how we might be able to better understand what we're insuring? Yeah, the whole industry has to do it. And I don't know if you if if in the insurance agency, if it works or in the insurance market, it works in a grassroots effort or if you have to go top down. But the whole mindset has to be cyber is the risks are enormous. And you have to recognize that a, a check a checklist sheet or whatever that you give me for me to fill out, it's not okay. So step one would be uh, how the industry engages experts like PCA to be able to come in and say, okay, we're going to actually run front end tests to give us a grade on what your cyber hygiene is, what your existing infrastructure is, and then we're going to cover you based on that grade. So if you get a D minus, hey, guess what? That's like you having 15 speeding tickets. You might not get insurance. But okay. here's here's then uh, XYZ comes in and provides a solution. Here's how you get to an A minus or whatever, which is the minimum we accept, whatever that standard would be. The whole industry needs to go that, go that approach. And for one, you'll minimize your risk in the industry. And two, you'll actually make the world a better place because the people need to be doing this. They just don't recognize it. And the best way to get them to recognize it, don't insure them. Wow. Yeah, it's very similar to if I'm insuring a contractor and doing ladder safety um, or, you know, how to lift properly if I'm talking to a truck driver or a, you know, uh, a loading dock professional. So, no, I get that. Uh, I think that that works. Um, I think that definitely uh, can relate to the audience that we're here in insurance town. Um, So, we actually put a little bow on that. I actually talked a little insurance there. So There you uh, go. I love it. Now I could write it off. Just kidding. Um, so no, uh, I really, I really enjoyed. I can't believe I'm looking up and it's already been 56 minutes. Um, but uh, I, I have totally enjoyed um, our conversation. Um, now we've talked faith. We've talked a little family. We've talked about your team. We've talked about cyber hygiene. We got into Clubhouse, LinkedIn. I'm going through my checklist here. Yeah, good work. And it looks like uh, we, we've knocked out some cool stuff here. Um, and so I, I love it. Um, that being said, um, I have a couple more quick things for you. One, I want to, uh, I'm going to step aside here in a minute. I'm going to let you take over the show. I'm going to give you the keys to the city. And I want you to just take two or three minutes and um, talk to us about something that's on your heart, something that you can educate us, innovate us, inspire us, whatever you know you want to do for the next two or three minutes. Uh, I'll shut you off and get too long-winded. Um, Stephanie <laughs> says you can do that sometimes. Go ahead. Well, what I would say, and I appreciate having the keys to the city, I appreciate you having me on the phone or on the, the podcast. You know, I would urge everyone to focus on positivity. Um, you know, one of the things that I have uh, taken on as an initiative that God laid on my heart um, really for a long time, but I took initiative last year, is as I went through the crisis that put me in a state of depression that, and days put me where I didn't want to get out of bed, I recognized that I needed to take it one day at a time. And so then God began to put on my heart this concept of go win the day because I am going to try to win today. I'm not going to think about yesterday and I'm not going to focus on tomorrow. I have one day and I'm going to try to go one and oh. And so last year, as I uh, as we went on the daily huddles, we started signing off those huddles by saying go win the day. And I began to tell the story somewhere, I don't know, two, three months in of how that all happened, that I shared this story that I'm bringing to you of, I recognized it was all too big. And so I think we can find more joy in our lives if we focus on it one day at a time. I might lose today, but I'm going to come in with the attitude that I'm going to win. And regardless, tomorrow, it's a new day. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to have that go win the day attitude. And so in October, uh, I started doing a LinkedIn Live weekly broadcast where I bring people in and I interview them live with a focus on positivity. 
uh, where I'm trying to bring uh, that positivity to the chaos that we call life. And it's focusing on um, people, normal people, uh, and how they start and end the day with that go win the day attitude and then sprinkle stories in between. So for me, the best advice that I can give your listeners is be joyful and take it one day at a time. If you get knocked down today, tomorrow's a new day. Go win it. Man, I am fired up now. Uh, I'm ready to go. All right. Uh, let's go. So, no, I, I totally appreciate that. And uh, I, have to keep, I have to keep it down. I don't want to wake anybody up. But, uh, no, uh, no, I'm super pumped. Thank you so much for sharing that. The last thing I want you to do is um, if you will – Okay, so what I understand before I ask this last question, um, you guys at PCA uh, come in and you kind of become the technology department and you kind of become the IT guy and you come in and uh, you do those kind of things. And so uh, not only is, you know, Ted just a cool guy to talk to, obviously, for the last hour, but that's kind of what your company does. So if anybody wants to reach out to you, uh, whether it's to talk computers or talk life or get into positivity, let my audience know how they can find you. Um, give a email address, a LinkedIn handle, whatever you want to do, however you want to, you know, have people contact you. Cause I'd love for people to be able to reach out to you. And even if you just want to reach out and say, Ted, you're the coolest, uh, do that too. Uh, I think you would like that. Well, I appreciate that. So you can find me on LinkedIn at Ted Clouser. Um, our websites, our uh, business website is PCATechSolutions.com. And then uh, my live strokes website is GoWinTheDay.net. And uh, that's where you can go listen to cool people like Alan Stein and all the other interviews that I've done, which I've done. that An awesome interview, I actually, second one I did was with Steve Robinson, uh, who created the Eat More Chicken uh, campaign for Chick-fil-A. And so just great opportunities to really spread positivity. So you can find me. I'm very open uh, to having conversations. So, you know, just look me up. Thank you so much, Ted. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Thanks for accepting the invite to Insurance Town. You're welcome back here anytime. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys for hanging out with me and Ted Clouser today in Insurance Town. I really hope that the content we brought you made you a better insurance professional today because that's my goal with all of these. Uh, don't forget, I mentioned earlier, I'll mention it again. Our next town hall meeting is February 18th with my main man, Bradley Flowers from Porter Portal Insurance. You don't want to miss it. Today's podcast was edited and produced by my man, Ryan, over at Ready, Set, Podcast. If you've got an idea for your own show, make sure you hit up my man over there. You can find him on uh, most of the social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, they do a great job. Website is GetReadySetPodcast.com. I love working with these guys. Ready, Set, Podcast, turning your brilliant idea into a reality. Thanks again, guys. I look forward to hanging out with you again next week.